right. Well, thank you so much uh, for being here today. We're going to start a new series, and it's called Dealing with Sin. And I just want to make a note of something that normally others design the, the graphics. I did this one, so it's pretty plain and simple. And so we know it's not getting the creative grade A, but here's what I thought was interesting. Uh, I was just looking up uh, different sermon graphics for sin, and I'm not kidding. I couldn't find one. And so I told Carissa, I said, you know, I don't know if I should talk on sin or not, but <laughs> I don't know why nobody else is talking on sin, so I'm diving into something maybe you've never talked about in church, but uh, talking about sin today, or maybe it's not popular. It's like back in the 80s, we talked about sin, but no more. Uh, but today, uh, we're going to unpack a series entitled sin or dealing with sin, and I just want to talk to you all about sin, and uh, don't worry, I'm not going to scream at you until you're all going to hell, okay? So um, I want to begin with a question, and it's a, uh, a practical question, and so here's a question we'll put it up on the screen. Have you ever wanted to do the right thing but didn't do it? You, know, you just really wanted to do the right thing but didn't get it done? The question I have is why? Why is it that you and I want to do the right thing but then we don't do the right thing? Even when we want to do the right thing, like simple things. Like, this is full confession right here of, I think this is sin. I don't know. We'll find out. I'm sure all the wives will be like, yes, that's sin. <laughs> I think about kissing Gris, Carissa, like, before I leave, maybe, to, to work or, like, when we're, you know, going separate directions. And she's like, I don't know, about 25 feet from me, you know, maybe. And then I'm like, uh, no. <laughs> you ever done that, dude? Like, just little things like that? Like, I know I should kiss her goodbye, but then I'm going to walk over there and, and, hey, see you later. You know, and I've blown kisses, you know, just because I feel bad, but internally I know that I should. And what's crazy is sometimes when I listen to that little nudge, go give her a kiss goodbye, I go give her a kiss goodbye. She's like, that meant so much to me. So then I, I immediately talk to the father. I'm like, whatever, dude, that's fine, you know. <laughs> Have you ever wanted to do the right thing but didn't do it? Man, why does that happen? Somewhere around A.D. 57, there's a guy named Paul, and he wrote this, and evidently he understood the same thing that we understand today. Here's what he said. He says, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it's the sin living in me. For I know the good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I just can't carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. That I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it. It's the sin living in me that does it. So that's what I tell Carissa now when I leave the house. <laughs> it's not me. It's sin. I want to talk to you about the word sin. And as we start this new series about sin, I want to talk to you about where it comes from, what it is, what it does, and hopefully by the end of this series, you decide to leave it. When we hear the word sin, there's a good chance that all sorts of things go through your mind. We'll put a list of them on the screen. Maybe it's rules that you can't follow. 
you grew up talking about sin or hearing about sin, and it's just like a whole bunch of rules. Maybe it's about absence of fun, right? Because all the fun stuff is sin. And so if I have to stop sinning, I just have to stop having fun. Or maybe you think about the word sin and you think about really evil people, not like yourself, but really evil people. Or maybe you start thinking about greater and lesser sins, you know. Regardless of whatever it is that you think about, here's what I'm inviting you to do and to consider doing in this whole entire series. And it really comes down to two words, leave sin. So to understand sin, I want to begin where Christians begin. And if you're not a Christian, then at least you'll have information on where Christians get their understanding of sin. And yes, we go back into the beginning. And so we're going to start there in the book of Genesis, because Genesis literally means in the beginning. So we're going to go back to the beginning, and I want to invite you on this journey. And again, if you're not a Christian and you don't see sin this way, at least you'll know where we stand as Christians. And then you decide whether or not you agree with what Scripture or the Bible calls sin. So this is where it begins in the beginning, because it all starts in the beginning. And it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So God creates the world, and while doing so, he then, we've heard, we've seen, we've read that he creates humans. Verse 26 through 27 Then God said, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock, and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them, verse 31. God saw that he, all that he had made, everything that he had created was very good. And there was evening and there was morning on the sixth day. The word good simply means to be in agreement. It means that there's an agreement between his creation and himself, meaning that both male and female and all things that he made were perfectly in his image. They're in agreement. They perfectly reflect one another. Then, of course, you've probably heard the story, Genesis chapter 3. You hear about the Garden of Edom of Eden and, and Adam and Eve, and they eat this piece of fruit, and there's a conversation with a serpent who we know is the devil, and, uh, and then in this disobedient act, in Eve and Adam, and they take the fruit, they disobey God, sin enters the world, and as a result, in that moment in history, man is stained with sin. You've probably heard of that story, but Paul, I think, helps us better even understand this story, and he writes it this way, and I'll unpack it for you. And He writes to a church in Rome, and he's talking to a group of Christians, but here's how he kind of records the story that I just kind of paraphrased in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, here's what he says. Romans 5 or 6, he says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, this is the key word, he says, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul simply says when Jesus died, he died for ungodly people, which is interesting because in Genesis chapter one, we see that these are perfectly reflecting 
God. These are godly people that humanity, Adam and Eve, humans right there, godly people. Now, we don't use the word godly. We don't go around saying, hey, you're kind of godly. You're not ungodly. You probably don't call people ungodly. Instead, we use the word, hey, we're not perfect. We talk about the word perfection, and we say we are not perfect. But God, of course, is perfect. Every human, Paul writes, is ungodly. In other words, you are not God. So go ahead, I want you to do this. I want you to tell your neighbor, you are ungodly. Go ahead, tell somebody you know. Now tell somebody you don't, tell somebody you know, tell somebody you don't know, just tell them you you are totally ungodly, okay? You're not God, definitely not God. And then he explains this, write this in your notes in case you just ever want to forget that. Write this in, just no human is godly. To be godly would be perfect, and no human is perfect, so no one's godly. Then he explains, Paul, in Romans 5, when this occurred. So according to Paul, he says, here's when this all happened. He explains it in verse 12 of chapter 5. He says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, referring to Adam, and death through sin... Because death is always on the heels of sin. Death always on the backside of sin. Death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people. And all sinned. Which we know is true because all people eventually die. No one can escape it. And all sinned. Write this in just to reframe your thinking about sin, write this in. Sin began as a noun, not a verb. For a lot of people, they think about sin as it relates to a verb, but they don't think about it as a noun. There's no question that sin or sinning is, there is a verb to it. There is actions in it. But first, you've got to understand that it began as a noun. Look at his writing. He says, sin entered the world as if it's a thing, it's something, it's a noun. Seven realities of sin I'll give you, and I gave you notes, because I do not expect you to memorize all of these, so you can write it in. The first one, sin is a thing. Sin is a, a thing, it's like information. Information is a thing, we understand when I say information, but you can't see information, but the word information in of itself is something. It's a thing. It's like energy. I can't always see it, but it's there. It's existent. Number two, we see simply that he is saying we're powerless or ungodly. It's not perfect. It's evil, if you would, because it's opposite of perfection. It's opposite of God. It's evil. Sin is evil. Romans 7, he says, I do the wrong thing. In fact, I don't want to do the wrong thing, but I do the wrong thing. So he refers to it himself as it's something that's evil living inside of me that keeps happening. And I inevitably do the wrong thing, the thing that I don't want to do. And the fact, the thing I hate doing, but sometimes I end up doing it. Number three, sin lives in me. Paul says that this thing called sin actually lives in me. It's inside of me. It's not like it's in the world and then I just kind of go dibble dabble in it. He says it's actually living in me. 
So I just think that's kind of something to think about for just a minute and say, okay, well, if sin isn't always out there and I'm like go engaging in it, then I'm all of a sudden don't have it in, it in me any longer, but now I'm in it or I'm not in it, I'm in it, I'm not in it. I'm in sin, I'm not in sin, I'm in sin, I'm not in sin. You're in sin. You ever had a preacher tell you that? You're in sin. You know what you should say next time? I know, it lives in me, man. I'm telling I'm full of it, you know. Sin lives in me. It's actually in me. I can't deny it. Sin lives in me, Paul writes. So you just tell me, according to Scripture, whether or not you think sin lives in you. Now, I haven't said sin lives in you. I said sin lives in me. So you tell me whether or not you think sin lives in you, and then you decide if you agree with the Bible. Ready? Here we go. According to the Bible, these are a few words that pop up about sin. Galatians 5, 19 reads this. Paul writes to a church in Galatians and he says, when you follow the desire of your sinful nature, that's the thing that lives inside of me, the results of that are pretty clear. Sexual immorality. Impurity. Lustful pleasures. So far, I know none of you have experienced any of those, but let's keep going. Sorcery. Idolatry. Wait a second. Hostility. Quarreling, fighting, jealousy, dang it, got me. I know, some of you so far, not you. Outburst of anger. Every parent, raise your hand right now in the name of Jesus, yeah. Okay. Selfish ambition. Dissension, division, envy. Drunkenness, high school parties, wild parties, what did it say, college parties, adult parties, 21 and up parties, okay. And then the writer says, you get the point. Other sins like these. Lying? Okay. Anyone have any of that living in them? Anyone ever, ever? Look at you liars, man. It's, love it. We love honesty in church. We're so proud of you. There's this acknowledgement that, yeah, 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 I didn't want to lie, but I did. I did. I didn't want to cheat, but I did. I didn't want to steal it, but I did steal it. I didn't want to gossip, but I found myself gossiping. I didn't want to look. I looked. I don't want to be jealous, Gosh, I'm still jealous. I don't want to be envious, but truth be told, I'm still envious. This is Paul's wrestle. And he says, there's acknowledgement that sin, yeah, that, that stuff does live in me, and I don't really want to have it, but I have it nonetheless. Number four, reality of sin. Because he says in verse 12, death through sin, that death is on the heels of sin. Death follows sin. In fact, later on, just one chapter over in Romans 6.23, he says the wages of sin is death. Number four, sin leads to death. I'll explain that in just a minute. The word wages in Romans 6.23 simply means payment. In other words, when we sin, the payment we receive is death. Paul is simply saying, take any of the sins of the list that I show you, and I'll show you how it leads to death. 
I'll show you that in just a minute. Number five, write this in. Sin separates us relationally from others. It destroys. It brings death to relationships with other people. Let me show this to you. You put the list on the screen, Galatians 5, 19, if you would, for just a minute. And I just want you to know that lying is also scripturally considered a sin. Lying separates us from one another. Lying destroys trust. You have been lied to, and when you were lied to, you lost trust in the other person, or at least some element, some degree of trust. Your boss lied to you, a coworker lied to you, and it destroyed a relationship. It separates our relationships with other people. Sexual morality, adultery, separates us relationally from those around us. Misusing what God intended for good, sex that is, and misusing it, abusing it, not taking it as he created it, changing family dynamics, it separates us relationally from others. It divides marriages. Jealousy often leads to unjust acts against others. Think about all the things that happen in the world around us in the name of jealousy. Someone gets jealous and then they respond to the jealousy and they kill somebody. Steal from somebody. Suppress your promotion because they're so selfishly ambitious that they suppress you, gossip about you, so that they can then push and propel themselves forward. Unforgiveness. Think about how it divides families. Many today still haven't talked to people who've once hurt them and they live with unforgiveness in their heart and the relationship severed. Greed leads to the death of many. Many starving people die day after day after day in the name of greed. It's a fact. Drunkenness leads to abuse and neglect and sometimes even takes lives. Some of you have experienced that firsthand. Sin separates us relationally from others. Number six, sin separates us relationally from God. Now, one of the truths and probably the things you've heard about this, that sin separates us from God, is the fact that he's holy, and when sin came in, it destroyed us, and we were no longer holy, and that's true. We're not perfect any longer. But that's not the only reason that sin separates us from God. Sin separates us from God because when we sin against someone God loves, it separates us from him too. 
When we sin against those that he loves, it separates us from him relationally as well. And I'm talking about the word relationally along with God. Think about it like this. I have four children, two daughters, two sons. And I just want you to know, if you sin against my daughter, you can't come to me and say we're good, right? No, 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 no. Some of the dads in the room, I'm, I'm looking for a little more grumbling than that, okay? <laughs> you cannot sin against my daughter, lie to my daughter, mistreat, abuse my daughter, mislead my daughter, and then come to me and say, but we're good, right? You know, the, I own a shotgun, I own a handgun, and just in case I'm concerned about people hearing it, I have a crossbow. And I have a hunting knife. I am locked and loaded. The, there was no threat there. It got really dark. I told you, I sinned. It's a sin. It's a sin. It's a sin in me. You can't come to me and say, but we're good, right? When, when you sin against someone God loves, you can't go to him and say, but we're good, right? You say, well, who does God love? John 3, 16 says, for God so loved the world. You mean Everyone. When we sin against others, it separates us relationally from God and from others. Because he loves you. Can't go to God when you sin against others and expect the relationship to be intact and fine. He will talk to you about it and he'll remind you what you need to do to go and confess and repent and turn. That's how much he loves his kids. Here's the seventh reality of sin, and this might be the toughest part of it. Sin can't be faithed away, and I know for all you English teachers, that's not a word, but sin cannot be faithed away. It can't be prayed away or obeyed away. You can try to faith it away. You can try to church attendance it away. You can try to wear Christian t-shirts and, and listen to Christian music all day long, but you will find it just won't leave. You can't pray it enough away, you can't fast it away, and you certainly cannot obey it away, which is what many religious leaders thought over decades of many, many, many of years. I could just obey it away, but they couldn't. It remained. I'll illustrate to you this way. I stopped by the office because I'm trying to be a good resource person of our finances. I got some Irish cream to represent sin. I don't, no knock to Irish cream at all. So when God creates heaven and, and humans, he creates them, he said, perfectly in his image, and this is simply a glass of 
tap water. It's probably got some kind of stuff in it, but you get the point. It's pretty clear. When sin inserted itself into humans based off of the decision and the choice that they made, this is a simple illustration, it contaminated humanity. And there was no way to remove it. And it just became a part of every human. Then, Adam and Eve hook up. And they have some children. And eventually, you. And what the heck, me. So, just like what happens in genes and things that we inherit from our families and parents, they also contaminated us. And then you get the point. And every human has inherited this sin. And we can't deny it. You can argue about how it got there, but you can't deny it that it does live in you. Sin is not a physical attribute. I know that people argue about tattoos being sin. You could debate about tattoos. But sin is not a physical attribute. It's inside of me. My thoughts, it lives in here. Can't touch it. It's not always tangible. And according to Paul, sin lived in him, and he couldn't get rid of it. Later on, Paul wrote this letter to some Christians in Colossae, and he says this, another church, and he writes this letter. Once you were alienated from God. Now, he's talking to Christians. He's talking to people who've professed Christ in their life. And he says, once you were alienated from God, you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he's reconciled you by Christ's physical body through the death to present you holy in his sight. There's a difference. You're holy now without blemish, free from acquisition. If you continue in your faith, established and firm in him, do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and which I, Paul, have become a servant. It's the word alienated that I want to focus on. Once you were alienated, the word alienated literally means transferred to another owner. Once you were alienated from God, before coming to Christ, you were alienated. You were belonging to a different owner, but there was transfer of ownership. And you were actually enemies in your minds. Now the soul is the place where your mind sits, your desires sit, and your emotions sit. So he's saying, essentially, that your thought life which is a part of the soul, was once alienated from God under a different owner. But now you have a new owner. This is what he's getting at. Because when sin entered the human soul, there was a transfer of ownership. When God creates them in his image, they're perfectly reflecting him. Perfect, holy, and blameless. 
but there was a transfer of ownership. And here's why it's important to understand that. Because we can't leave our sin unless we return to our original owner. In other words, there's only one way to remove sin from your soul. And that is to get a new one. Because you can't faith it away, you can't pray it away, and you can't obey it away. The only way to get rid of it is to get a new one. To which the writer of Romans, Paul writes in verse 17, for if by the trespass of one man, being Adam, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of his righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Paul would also write about a new heart that we receive, a new soul that we get this thing that God comes in and he changes it for us. And that's exactly what he did. He provides a new, blameless, sinless soul. Jesus provided a way to leave our sin, one sin for all. Jesus simply allows us to say, when you come to me, when you come to me, I take the sin away from you and give you a new identity. No longer in Adam, now in me. Not based on your behavior, based on what I did. This is how you leave sin. Sin leaves when we leave our sins on Jesus and adopt his righteousness on us. It's the only way to leave our sin. Can't pray it away, can't faith it away, can't obey it away. Jesus came to take it away. And he took it. And he put it on the cross. And he invites you and he invites me to cast our sins on him. And then in return, he will cast his righteousness on you. And Paul would say, and I would say, that is the gospel. That is really good news. And this is the gospel to which he became a servant that he talks about. Every one of you knows you have sinned and you've experienced this firsthand. You know this. Sin separates you and me. Sin, sin separates you from other people that you love and you care about. Some of you have had others sin against you and it destroyed the relationship. And as a result, it destroyed your relationship with God. We've all experienced this firsthand at some point in our lives. And so, it leaves you and me with a choice. And it's the title of the sermon.